Hey, what's up, Resonate Church? It's good to see you. I'm, I'm always so blessed to see a room just crowded, just people coming to worship Jesus, hearing your voices. I know that's the same for our family in Hayward. So glad that you are here with us, our online campus. Thank you for joining us. Hey, we've been in a series, and we just started last week, uh, a series called Free Indeed. And my hope is that uh, that we be free from all of our enslavements, that many of us are more enslaved than we realize to our past, to a past experience or a particular sin, and we want to be liberated and free. And I, when I thought about just formulating this uh, sermon series, I, I thought to myself, if just one person could be liberated from, from their bondage, man, it would have been worth it. Hey, I just want you to celebrate with me because I got an email Monday after uh, I preached on Sunday. And the context is this. Uh, a, a lady emailed her friend who is also a, a sister in our church and cc me in on it. And by the way, I got permission to share all your, uh, her testimony. It doesn't mean that I read every email that I get out loud to everybody. So uh, let me just read this one as I got permission. This is what she says. Man, I just wanted to share with you what happened yesterday morning at 6.30 a.m. By the way, you could tell she's old because, you know, she gets up early in the morning. Uh, Sharing a little more personal part of my story a few weeks ago at my MC wasn't easy. The feeling of judgment, guilt, and shame all came to the forefront. And I know that when I accepted Christ at 10 years old, all my sins were forgiven But doing so at such a young age, I didn't give it the weight that I should have. I've recently realized that though my sins were forgiven at the moment of my salvation, I believed my sins thereafter were written in a different heavenly book. It sounds really crazy, I know. As you know, Ryan's message on Thursday night really affected me. Then on Sunday, I heard the message again, and I was in tears after the service. I knew I had to take care of this issue of my past, and I wasn't sure how. Yes, people could quote a verse from the Bible or say things I already know, but it wasn't working. So yesterday morning, I prayed that he would take these chains from my past away. All of a sudden, I saw a deep purple space with tiny stars. Then I saw a little garbage-like stuff flying out of my body and tumbling towards this huge, round, sparkly matter. And what was this huge sparkly matter? It was beautiful. Could that be a symbol of God at work? It was a vision I'll never forget. For this to happen at 75 years old was not only incredible, but it left me feeling peaceful and so thankful. God heard me, and the stone that kept that part of my life in the grave was rolled away. He took all my garbage and broke the chains, and all my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. I've always known that, but there was something in me that prevented me from fully letting go. But now, I am no longer a slave to fear, Satan, or to my past. I am a child of God. (laughs) Isn't that marvelous? Now, freedom. Listen, this is the motto. Ready? Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Let's say it together real loud. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Yes, you have a future. 
And this one sister carried this baggage for 65 years and it's been just released in an instant, just going to Jesus. Her shackles came off. And my hope is that today and as we continue to go through this series, shackles will fly off, chains will be broken, and we'll be liberated and free in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Now today we're talking about pain, a kind of pain that comes into your life and disorients you and enslaves you. Like the moment when the doctor looks at you and says, it's terminal. Or when your spouse suddenly, unexpectedly comes to you and says, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Or your child that you raised all your life, giving all of your resources, will turn to you and say, I hate you. I don't want you to be in my life again. These are disorienting. How do you preserve during a time like this? How do you persevere through such pain? And can I just tell you, pain is the number one reason why Christians leave the faith or get their faith in a dormant state or they grow numb. You know, think about all the people who used to be here or who used to go to church that you know that are no longer. It's most likely because of their pain and how they've handled it. And what if you and I were, were released from that? What if those chains came off? Because whether you are going to endure that pain in the future or you are going through it now, you know somebody who is going through a deep, deep, deep moment of pain. So how can we persevere? How can we stay steadfast? And so Paul has incredible, incredible uh, encouragement for us. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Would you turn to Romans chapter 8? Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read from verses 19 through 29. Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 29. And if you would, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And I'll pray once again that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you're about to hear from me today. Romans 8, verses 19 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son." That is the word of the Lord for this great Sunday morning. All God's people said, please have a seat. Now, Romans 8, 
It's the greatest chapter in the entire Bible, in the greatest book in the entire Bible. And that's just an opinion. It just happens to be right. And so so we are diving into a section in Romans that is the greatest. Why is Romans 8 so great? Because it starts, verse 1, no condemnation. See, there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends in verse 39 to say there's no separation from God. So listen, no condemnation, no separation. Do you feel that incredible security? You are in him, and yet in him there's pain. In him there's trials. In him there's great adversity. In him there's miscarriages. Why is there pain in my life then? Why the cancer diagnosis? Why do traumas last so long? And so Paul gives us some incredible solutions to navigate through our pain. Three Ps, ready? Very first, he gives us a perspective. Secondly, he gives us a purpose. Third, he shares with us a petition. Perspective, purpose, petition. So if you're taking notes, let me share with you first the perspective. Let me give you a perspective that Paul is trying to pass off to us in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, it says. Futility. It was subjected to futility. And God gave it. Now, the implication here is that the world today is not how it's always been. Right? And the Bible says that when God created everything, it was good. And he created a world where there was life without death. Uh, food without obesity, relationships without hurt, and it was all good. No sorrow, no tear, no pain. But when Adam chose to rebel against God, going his own way, choosing, thinking, and doing things he thought was better than God in his way, it resulted in sin, and everything, it says, under mankind's dominion was wrecked, was subjected to futility, including nature. And that's why in Genesis 1, it says, man, all the land, all the plantation, all the fields and all the trees and all the fruit was growing really sweet. And it was for the advantage of mankind. It was wonderful. It was great. You know, the succulent that you were trying to grow, it continues to grow. It doesn't die. And then in Genesis 3, your succulent dies. Why? Because he was, he, was, he was sinful, and because of that, all dominion under that sin, under mankind, is subjected to that futility, and therefore, even the ground, it says, was cursed. Now, when we read that, we're like, oh, man, God is a tough God. You know, God is a mean God. God, you know, he's holy, he's really just, so he always does what he says, and it's true, it's true. But what we don't, uh, what we do often is that we compare God to our really strong parent, you know, the dad that was really stern and strong. And yet, and that perspective is radically reductionary because our God is a compassionate God. And our God actually groans with us. Do you know that he groans? As the futility of this, uh, this creation groans, as you and I groan in our suffering, God groans. I remember a time when my very first child, you know, I was reading a lot of books of how to raise children. I mean, we'll read car manuals, we'll read Ikea manuals, but we won't read manuals for kids. And so I was just trying to read as many books as possible, learning about how to raise a kid. And I, I started learning about how, how to discipline lovingly a child. And I just never, I, I just pray to God, God, give me a perfect child so I never have to discipline him. And God answered by giving me a really imperfect one. And, and, and so about the age of two, it was finally a time 
time where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to discipline this child lovingly to teach him. And it was my first child, my firstborn son, and I was really struggling. I had to do it. And finally, I decided to give him a timeout. I let him know, hey, your behavior is not okay. I'm going to have to give you a timeout. And I put him in the room, and he started just crying and wailing. And I thought I was going to be fine. I thought I was going to say, you deserve it. But on the other end, my tears, hot tears just flowed down my face. I just hated that discipline, but I knew it was for his good. And could I just tell you, in my unholy state of my radical, sinful nature, if I could have that much compassion towards my son, how much compassion do you think God has for you? He's all holy. He's all just. He's all love. And yet he is groaning with you as you go through these things. The best example of this is found in uh, John chapter 11 when Jesus was, uh, heard the news. He finally heard the news that one of his best friends, Lazarus, had died. And remember what Martha does? One of his sisters comes up to Jesus and blames him and says, Yo, Jesus, if you were here a little bit before, my brother would not have died. What does Martha do? Blames Jesus. Blames Jesus. And, and does that sound familiar to you? Have you ever found yourself blaming Jesus for the circumstances that you're going to? I mean, through, maybe, maybe you don't blame him with words, but you blame him with your heart, don't you? Right? And you don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You start not coming to church or you start not fellowshipping. You don't, you don't, you do all these things and you're, you're basically, you know, basically betraying Jesus, the very person that could heal you. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus, under that accusation, still comes into that town and he sees all these people mourning. He sees a tomb with a body and he sees most likely a parent uh, crying and weeping over the unnatural reality that they have outlived uh, their child. And so how does Jesus react? The Bible says this, that he was deeply moved. He was greatly troubled and that he wept. Jesus wept. Now, why did he weep? Wasn't Jesus about to raise Lazarus from the dead? Yes, he was. I looked at it. It's only eight verses. He knew he was going to raise him up. Then why did Jesus weep? Well, scholars say this. When he saw the grave and he saw the dead body, when he saw the people mourn, when he saw his parents just weep and just the unnatural reality of them outliving their own child, Jesus thought from the perspective of the eternal Godhead and thinking, man, it's never supposed to be this way. It's never supposed to be this way. That we're not supposed to have dead bodies. We're not supposed to have parents who outlive their children. Tears, death, sorrow, sin. And he weeps because he cares. Romans 8 says, creation groans. You and I groan. But God groans as well. But that's not all because he loves us. He doesn't just groan with us, but he receives all of our groanings and he pays for the sins that caused that groan. That on the cross, all the groanings came upon him and he paid for it all, liberating us. So one day it says in the book of Revelation that he will wipe away all the tears from our face. That there will be no more sorrow, no more grief, no more pain, and there will be life everlasting with him forever. Amen. That is the reality of what is coming for the Christian. And that's glorious. That's wonderful. So there will be a day, could you imagine, when there's no more cancer, no more miscarriages, no more suicides, no more shootings ever. 
there will be a day when Dallas Cowboys will not win a single more game. There'll be a day. It'll be glorious. It'll be perfect. That's why in verse 24 it says this. For in this hope, the one that we just talked about, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul is telling us, be patient. Be patient. You see, this perspective is critical because when pain comes, either you will blame God and run from him instead of trusting God and running to him. We do one of two things. Will you blame God and run from him? Or will you trust God and run to him? My hope is with this perspective that you will run to him, the very one that will comfort you, that is grieving with you. But secondly, he gives you purpose through this pain. Purpose. First, he gives us a perspective, but now he gives us a purpose. In verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Pains of childbirth is what Paul uses as an analogy to help us understand our pain. Now, this is really interesting. Studies show that human beings are able to endure enormous amount of pains as long as we know that there's a good purpose behind the pain and that we are really bad in enduring pain when there's no purpose at all, okay? Like, for instance, okay, well, newsflash. I've never been pregnant. I've never been, okay? Now, I've had some symptoms, Okay, (laughs) I've had water retention, irritability, some weight gains. Yes, yes, but you know what? You know who has experienced that? My wife. My wife has experienced it three times. Three times she's endured the hardship of pregnancy. But you know what? Also, I've also been in the room where she gave birth, so that means pretty much same, same, right? I've I've endured the same, right, right? Same with her, same? No, of course not. It's a complete different experience. She endured the pain. I didn't. Now, here's a question for every mom who's ever endured pregnancy. Ready? All the moms out there, how many of you would look at the pain of childbirth and say, it was worth it? Raise your hand real high if you say, it was worth it. Some of you are like this. No, come on. Raise it up real high. (laughs) Yes, all across the room here on our campus and at our homes, right? It was worth it. Now, same question, mom. To you, ready? How many of you would endure that kind of pain of pregnancy when there's no point at all? Raise your hand. Zero. Not a single person. Why? Because we will go through the pain when there's great purpose behind it, but we won't, and it'll be hard if there's no purpose behind it at all. Right? Now, think about the analogy of childbirth here. It's fascinating. It's curious to me. If childbirth was so excruciating, here's the question I want to ask. Why are there so many people on earth? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) Man, it's so hard. It's excruciating. Man, why are we overpopulated? You know what I mean? Think about about the first trimester. You know, you're like, you know, you're just vomiting all the time. Second trimester, you were gaining weight like crazy and you're feeling really uncomfortable. Third trimester, there's pain and there's dilation. You can't sleep. Great discomfort. Man, why is the world so populated? Why? I'll tell you why. Because anybody who's gone through it knows that there's a moment in the hospital 
where you're about to give birth and there's pain, 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 pain. And then there's push, 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 push. And then you hear the sound of a little child. And you get that child and the doctor takes that child and puts that child under that McDonald's french fry warmer machine and, <laughs> and, and, and cleans him or her up and then, and then puts that beanie on him like, you know, he's an instant born hippie or, or a hipster or, and, 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 and gets that baby and puts that child in the arms of a mother. And the mom holds that baby and looks at that baby and says, you are mine. You are mine. And it was worth it. It was worth it. And Romans 8 tells us all pain that you and I experience is worth it. It's not pointless. It's worth it. In fact, Romans 8 promises us this. You will never go through pain without a purpose. Praise God for that. Theologians debate whether or not God causes the pain or God just allows the pain. Either way, here's what I know, that he uses pain for good. He uses your pain for good. Now, here I'm getting to a sermon section where I need you to really dial in because this might help you the most out of all the things that we talk about today as you are walking through your pain. Do you know that the Bible says there are four purposes in your life unto his glory? God wants to glorify yourself. That's why he gives four purposes in every human being's life. This is why you and I exist. Number one, to know God. That's called salvation. But secondly, to find joy in your obedience. That's called discipleship. Third, he wants you to discover your why. That's your calling. You see, there are two most important parts in your life the days in your life, the day that you were born, and the day you discover why you were born. And here's the fourth, to make a difference in this world. That's called missions. Huh? Now, many people know that these four purposes are, are captured in their life, but let me tell you what most people don't know, that God fulfills these purposes in your life through pain. Through pain. This is how he disciples you through pain. And think about this. How did you come to know God? Many people think, you know, it's all about this glorious mountaintop experience. Could I be honest with you? Rock bottom moments have taught me more about God than mountaintop experiences. Rock bottom moments. Because I realized when there's nothing else in my life but God, that was the moment that when I realized that there's nothing in my life that I need besides God. All I need is the Lord. Everything was stripped away from me. I was in the rock bottom, and there he appeared. God is near to the brokenhearted. Amen? So this is why pain is purposed. God uses pain to draw us close to him. And when you have pain that you can't endure, then you learn to depend on his strength. That when you have temptation that you can't conquer, you learn to depend on his grace. When you have a, a betrayal that you can't handle, you learn to depend on his love. Because you'll never realize that God is all you need until God is all you have. God is all you need. See, it's our pain 
And through them that we get to know God, discover God, and draw near to God. And that's why verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you know why he saved you? Not to live a pain-free life. You know, there's a false teacher named Joel Osteen that continues to propagate his book, Your Best Life Now. Your best life is not now. Your best life is coming. It's in heaven. It's not now. You see, right now there's pain. And God, though, uses that pain to lead us into the discovery of himself for the glory of himself. And this is why many of us are saved because we've had really, really hard things. But I'll say this too. Many of you don't know God, don't look like Jesus, don't talk like Jesus because you're avoiding pain. We are such a privileged country in that and that we're so lacking persecution, many of us don't look like Jesus because we run from pain. And this passage shows us there's purpose behind pain, so embrace it. Embrace it into your life because God's showing you something. He's making you into something. Secondly, we find joy through the obedience of pain. Like I said, I mean, think about how we're made more like Jesus. You know, in order for God to make you like Jesus, he has to take you through what everything that Jesus went through. And so if he didn't spare his very own son through the hardship and the betrayal, you will go through hardship and betrayal also. And yet, here's the good news. Jesus, unlike us, fulfilled the law. He finished the law. He obeyed the law. So now we no longer are under the penalty of the law, but we free, we're free to obey Christ with joy. And that we're free to just obey him and lavish in the grace and the completion of the work of Jesus. And so we just come saying, I just want to obey you. I don't have to. There's no penalty upon me. No condemnation, nothing can separate me from Christ Jesus, but now I just obey you because I love you. Whoa, what freedom. What freedom. You see, through that, we draw closer to Jesus. Thirdly, think about how you discover your calling. Your greatest ministry will probably come from your deepest misery. Do you know that? And that's what God does. You know, you have to have a trial in order to have a testimony. And often God brings you that. A great example were two women in our church who've had personal great grief and tragedy of losing children. So you know what they did? They turned that into a pregnancy loss memorial during Mother's Day to bring healing to those who were going through similar pain. You see, their misery became their ministry. And God will do that for you. You see, your mess will become a your ministry, your pain will become your platform. Your trial will become his testimony. God will bring immense purpose behind your pain, and he'll minister to you. He'll show you your calling. Fourth, God uses pain for you and I to be on mission. You see, it's when our life is the hardest that our witness for Christ becomes the loudest. And it's so profound. You know, have you ever seen those cardboard testimonies of people like in church we we did it once where you get a cardboard and on one side of the cardboard there's your testimony a statement a sentence that describes the life before christ and you flip it over and it's a sentence that basically describes the life after christ you've seen those well, some, one of the best ones that I've seen was when two couples walk across the stage, and initially you think they're married, but they're not, because once they land, the woman in front has a cardboard that says, um, 
diagnosed with very serious, aggressive stage four breast cancer. And right next to her is, is this guy that says, I was the doctor that diagnosed her far away, antagonistic towards the faith. And then he flips the card and says, through her hope and joy, through her tribulation, I got saved. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and, and her card on the other side, she flips it over. It has two words. Worth it. Worth it. He was worth it. My cancer was worth it. Worth it. You see, when our pain is the deepest, our witness is the loudest. See, God uses pain to help us make a difference in this world. And could I promise you something? That there is purpose in your pain today. Why? Because I believe in verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, according that God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That this verse says not everything good will happen to you. That's not what it promises you. But it promises you that he'll work for good all the bad things that will happen to you. He'll make it good eventually. He gives us purpose. He gives us perspective. But lastly, he gives us this petition. I want you to see this, but this amazing petition. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Oh, this is so good. Now, this is talking about the Holy Spirit's job. Now, listen, I, I just have to preface this point by addressing the fact that many of you went to churches where you studied about God, you studied about Jesus, you hardly ever mentioned the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit was kind of like the stepbrother of the Holy Trinity. You know, you just never talk about him, right? But our church is different. We talk about the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is a member of the triune God. He's completely God. And that's why we did a long series on just the Holy Spirit that we even wrote a song about the Holy Spirit because there weren't very good doctrinal songs about the Holy Spirit. And so we wrote one. And so listen, this is what we want to do. This is my conviction, deep conviction for our church, that you and I cannot have a vibrant relationship. A Christian uh, cannot walk through this harsh world without having a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. That you and I must be deeply acquainted with the Spirit to hear him to love him, to embrace him, to search for him in our hearts. R.T. Kendall, a Presbyterian minister, once said this, there are word churches and there are spirit churches and there has been a great divorce in the church between word and spirit. It's like any divorce. Some kids go with mom and some kids go with dad. Revival happens when you bring those two back together. We must bring word and the spirit together. Listen, Resonate Church, we don't want to be a word or spirit church. We want to be a word and spirit church. Amen? This is who we want to be. Okay? We, we want knowledge and experience, proclamation and power, the clarity of the word and the mystery of the spirit. So I'll just say it straight up right now. Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. He's speaking to you today. 
And this is why I always pray before service, while I'm preaching even, that the Holy Spirit will preach a better sermon than the one that you're hearing from me because I believe the Holy Spirit can do it. And I believe that the Holy Spirit could help you to listen and to give you words deep inside you. Now, think about this. In the book of Acts, 59 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned. 39 times the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Now, the Holy Spirit often speaks to us on behalf of God. But in this verse, in this passage in Romans chapter 8, it's saying that the Holy Spirit speaks to God on behalf of us. Because it does that too. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Keep this verse up, according to the will of God. You have to understand, the Spirit speaks on behalf of you that you cannot say to God what you should say to God according to the will of God. Not according to the will of man, according to the will of God. And this is why this is really important. So this passage says, when you're in pain and you start groaning, you're like, please, God, help. Please do this. Please make this happen. Please make my circumstance go away. All those prayers, the Spirit translates your groanings and presents them before God's throne. And here's the key. According to the will of God. So in other words, God does everything that we would Ask him to do if we knew everything God knows. That's what he does. That's what the Spirit does. It doesn't answer you according to your will. It answers according to God's will. For instance, all of my children are genetically disposed of having big teeth. Man, big teeth. They all have small mouths. They have big teeth. And it's genetic. Whose fault is that? Of course, my wife's. My wife's. I I can say that right around Father's Day and my birthday. That's it. That's the only time I could get away with it, right? Yeah. Hey, our our family, we genetically, our kids have gigantic teeth coming out, right? Like Wallace and Gromit stuff, like big, big, big teeth, tiny mouth, right? So where do all those teeth go? 32 of them all crowning. It's like 32 huge guys fitting into a tiny elevator. It doesn't work. You have to pull people out. So same thing. We go to the dentist. You have to pull teeth out to make space for these teeth to fall. That's why the Quans have mangled teeth, man. They just don't, man, it's just not a good sight. Thank God for braces. Thank God for orthodontists in the world, right? And they, they fix us. They align us. They, they pull teeth out to create the space where our teeth will. Every time I told, all three of my kids had braces. All three of them had crowded mouth. All these teeth came into like shark teeth, you know? And they're like, hey, we got to pull these. Hey, guess what? Today, you get candy. Um, right after candy, you get your tooth pulled out. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 dad, dad, please. You try to pull my baby tooth out and it hurts so bad. I don't want to go. I'm like, yeah, you have to take four molars out <laughs> today. I'm so sorry. They're like, please don't, please don't subject it to us. Play, please, please. And they're praying to us literally, don't do this. And you know what? Not a single time did I answer them according to what they asked. But I did answer them according to what they would have asked if they were 45 years old. Because now they, they'll look at me and say, thank you, thank you, Dad, for 
these braces. Thank you, Dad, that you helped us pull these teeth out. Because, you know, I don't want to be 45 and wear head, headgear. You know, that's not a good look for a person. So, so, so they thank me now. Listen, in the same way, listen, in the same way, I've, I've given them something that, that they would have asked for if they knew everything that I know as a 50-year-old. Now, listen, which intellectual gap is greater, my 6-year-old and me, or me and the all-knowing, almighty, all-sovereign God? Listen, you have to understand this. If God is a Pacific Ocean, your mind and my mind is the size of a thimble. Okay, that means there's some parts of the Pacific Ocean that won't fit the thimble. That's the reality of us. That's a good picture. So this says when we pray, we pray out of that thimble knowledge. So the spirit sometimes intercedes with groaning so deep with words. And we don't know what to pray for as we should. Now we should pray for something else, but we pray for this. And we groan and we're in silence. So the Holy Spirit translates our prayers and God doesn't always give us what we asked for, but he always gives us what we would ask for if we knew what he knows. That's what he does. Besides the massive intellectual difference between us and God, you know what's also incomparable? Think about this, the pain that we receive now to the glory that is to come. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17 is one of my favorite verses. It says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. Do you see that? It's beyond comparison. If God's knowledge and our knowledge is somewhat comparable from a thimble to the ocean, our pain right now to the glory that is coming is incomparable. It's incomparable. So God says, have patience. Have patience. There's purpose behind your pain. I want to close this way. Do you know there's a place in the Bible that says that Jesus groaned? He himself groaned. Look at Hebrews 5, verse 7. The author says, In the days of his flesh, meaning Jesus, when he was on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. He was groaning. Who to whom he was able to save him from death. He was like, save me from death. And guess what? He was heard. He was heard. So Jesus says, deliver me from death. And according to the author of Hebrews, God delivered him. You're like, wait, wait a minute. God didn't deliver him. Because remember, the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, deliver me from death, pass this cup from me. And Jesus went to the cross. He was crucified. You're like, what do you mean he was heard? You mean he was not heard? Is the author of Hebrews wrong? Did he get it wrong here? Is the scriptures not inerrant? Oh, no, he got it right. He got it right. Jesus was heard. Jesus said, deliver me from death. And he was, not just through the cross, but through his resurrection. Through his resurrection. And what this means is sometimes whatever we ask of God, he just won't do it the way we ask it. But he's going to do it. 
He will deliver us. He will deliver us. And he is using your pain to deliver you into more of his presence. Some of you are here today because of pain. And what you didn't anticipate is God's words meeting you today to say, will you trust me? Because there's great purpose beyond your own understanding. And when you can't utter those words to God, even knowing what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you. And he will translate and ask me of things that you should be asking for if you knew all the things I knew, and I will deliver. I'm with you. I've grown with you, and I continue to find great compassion in you, and your pain will turn into your platform. Your trial will become your testimony. Your misery will turn into your greatest ministry. Believe it. I will use your pain. I will not squander it. So embrace it. Don't run away from it. The bondage is that we just run from pain or we think there's nothing for it. And so we just crumble. We just hold fast. No, God says, embrace it. I will walk you through. Find freedom to be faithful in your pain because he's faithful to you. Let's pray. Can we bow our heads? In a moment, this is not the time to get up. This is not the time to abandon everything that we've heard. It's time to just submit and say, Lord, whatever the circumstances that I'm going through, I pray that I would just embrace it and just trusting you for the glorious work that is ahead of me because every pain has a purpose. May my trials be my testimony unto you and may my misery become my ministry that you would use me and at the end of my day, I could say, it was all worth it. My pain, my trials, my discouragement, my despondency, everything would have been worth it in light of how you used it for your glory and for people's good, including mine. Father, will you give us that perspective today? Will you help us in our groaning? Will you help us that the Holy Spirit will ask of you and intercede on behalf of us and that you would redeem our pain so much so that one day we'll look back and say, it is worth it. It was worth it. So today, in knowing the hope that is ahead of us, can we say, I think it's worth it. So I'm going to be faithful to you still. Will you help us to be faithful? We need your help. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. Thank you for Jesus who completed this work, who went before us, who was delivered from death because he was resurrected, and so will we. We pray in the matchless name of our King, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord, and all God's people said... Amen. Let's give him glory. Hallelujah.